Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen Detrolio Coakley. Today, we bring you a conversation between Dr. Luis Rivera and Dr. Frank Yamada on the solidarity statements in the world of U.S. theological education. For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to the HTI Open Plaza podcast. I'm Dr. Luis Rivera Rodriguez, Associate Professor of Theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. And I'm Dr. Frank Yamada, the Executive Director of the Association of Theological Schools and the Commission on Accrediting in the United States and Canada. Today, we are going to talk about an important event in the history of theological education in the United States that took place this past June. A group of presidents and deans from these schools made public declarations addressing the longstanding crisis of racial injustice in the nation, in particular, the killing of unarmed African-Americans, persons, and citizens and the claims of the social movement that this situation has generated, Black Lives Matters. Frank, you and I uh, met many years ago while we were faculty members at McCormick Theological Seminary. Do you remember? Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, you, were, you were my boss at one point, and then I think I became your boss, Luis. Correct. At some point, I became the first and only Latino academic dean at the school, in the school history. And then Frank, you became the first and only Asian American president in the school before accepting your current position with the Association of Theological Schools. So Frank, thanks for accepting this invitation and it is good to be here with you. This is really good to be here with you as well, Luis. Well, in June of this year, a group of black presidents and deans made a public declaration addressed to the White House, the American Academy of Religion, the Society of Biblical Literature, and the Association of Theological Schools. The document was in, entitled Black Presidents and Deans Say No More Stolen Black Lives. One of the opening sentences reads, and I quote, the survival and thriving of black, of black people in this nation and globally is our unapologetic commitment, end of quote. This declaration was followed by three other public declarations from ATS president and deans, as you know, Frank. The first one was an, a kind of YouTube a video declaration entitled Statement of Solidarity from Latino presidents and deans. Uh, the second declaration was issued and signed by the group of Asian and Asian descent president and deans. And the final statement was entitled Letter of Solidarity and Accountability from white deans and presidents of ATS members, schools, and affiliates. So Frank, let's, uh, let's uh, talk first about the content of this 
declaration. And then we can reflect a little bit on the context and significance and potential impact. But can you summarize briefly the core ideas and commitments that this group of leaders communicated in those declarations? So uh, the first letter and the original letter came from the black presidents and deans um, of ATS schools. Uh, and really the contents of that letter were seeking to address the moment that had emerged um, out of the context um, uh, and just after the killing of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and it was a statement uh, that, that basically said, as the opening uh, title suggests, no more stolen black lives. How do we create an ending to the killing of black people? Um, and so it was really that content and then the calls to action that it asked from government, from the association, from the American Academy of Religion. Uh, these were the calls to action that the letter evoked. Um, and it was followed up, as you said, by letters and solidarity from Latino, Latina uh, presidents and deans, from the Asian descent presidents and deans of the association, um, and then from uh, some colleagues who would consider themselves to be white allies in racial justice. Um, really, the contents uh, were all varied um, based, uh, I would say that the original letter was very much about how to address the racial justice uh, and to prevent the killing of black lives. Um, and that was from the African-American presidents and deans. The, uh, the, sec the third, second, third, and fourth letters really came as letters of solidarity to those, uh, to really, uh, to echo their support uh, for the racial justice and to also echo their horror, their dismay at the killing of black people. Um, Across the board too, I should say, Luis, uh, there were statements that came out from uh, about 160 ATS schools, which represents about 57%, 56.5% of the membership. And uh, these statements really had some very consistent themes. As I said, they all expressed the grief, horror, and outrage expressed at the unjust killing of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor, of Ahmaud Arbery, um, in, in Canada of Regis Korshinsky Paquet, um, who was uh, also a victim of police violence. Uh, it was this really urgent call and imperative to address the injustices and violence um, that black people have experienced, not just in this period, but for centuries. Uh, the second theme was really about the fact that this wasn't just uh, a one time occurrence, that this was part of a larger systemic issue and problem that our societies are having, a systemic racism at being at the core. Um, and, the, and the third theme that came out in all of these statements was really the necessity for action, that there had to be more than words, that there had to be actual actions that um, persons and institutions could take to dismantle systemic racism and the oppression of people of color. Thank you, Frank. Uh, those are very important uh, themes and topics that, as you mentioned, were the context uh, uh, of these uh, declarations. Um, let's reflect a little bit about the, the context and the process of how uh, this come to, to take place. Um, 
So what do you think led the, uh, to the event of these public declarations? And, that, and how did it happen? Because I know that you, you, know, you were in communication with many of these leaders, and so you have insights that none of us have. Can you say a little bit about that? So I think there's a broader context to this, Luis. And I, it really began, I think, several years ago uh, when uh, the Black Lives Matter movement really emerged out of the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson in Missouri. Um, in the wake of those, uh, of again, a series of killings that happened in 2014, uh, there were a group of African-American deans and president who issued an open letter to the association and asked for schools to commit to some forms of racial justice from their own positions. Um, and that response, there were many responses to that initial letter. So in some ways there was um, some precedent to this. Um, and that's the broader context. And really um, this new swell really emerged um, in the kind of a, the context of dual, a dual pandemic, right? So in the middle of the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, we also had the pandemic of systemic racism that was uh, cropping up again and was making itself known, um, especially through the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, and it really then also called the schools to respond. Um, in particular, it began again with these African-American presidents and deans who issued this call letter. Uh, so this was really the broad context, I think, of, of uh, the emergence of these letters um, and these responses and calls to action that were issued by these deans and presidents. Uh, so certainly there's a, there's a much broader context. Uh, you may also recall that uh, we were both, I think, at McCormick at the time uh, when in 2014, uh, uh, what happened in Ferguson, Missouri happened, and we began to think about what this meant for our work at McCormick and at the, in theological education as we were forming men and women to... Uh, to uh, entertain ministry and what it meant to do social justice, to do as the prophet has asked us to do, to, uh, to really do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Frank, that there is a, a larger context to that, a historical context to it. And, you know, as you mentioned that, I, I was thinking about, you know, the longstanding and prevailing socioeconomic and political conditions that have created you know, these systems of harmful inequalities uh, affecting in disproportionate ways minoritized ethnic racial communities, the longstanding and persistent re uh, resilience and courage of these communities to challenge and, conf and confront these conditions. And one of the ways uh, they they have done this is by creating social movements to defend themselves and to negotiate new conditions to address their needs and aspirations as citizens of this country and then the unfortunate and immoral conditions of, of created as you mentioned by the systemic white racism and supremacy um, and the uh, kind of cycles of pop public protest that, you know, surface again and again, 
you know, as calls for, again, to critique and transform these conditions. And as, as we know, most recently, you know, the larger social movement of Black Lives Matters um, has been joined by national and uh, voices across the spectrums of, of areas and professions. For example, in, in civil society, for example, civic groups, uh, people in sports, artists, uh, commercial companies, political leaders, uh, professional associations, youth groups, and uh, in higher education, we have seen also uh, faculty and administrators uh, making public declarations about these conditions so that in this sense, you know, the theological voices are part of that larger uh, scenario of people confronting and critiquing and uh, trying to search for some ways to transform this uh, national crisis that is affecting all of us in, in different ways. That's right, Luis. I mean, this is really what uh, not just theological schools and theological institutions, but communities of faith were really called to do. It, it is part of um, most religions' DNA, and certainly within the Christian tradition, uh, the notion of uh, being able to seek justice and to call for justice when justice is wanting. Uh, and that's what we see happening, both in the protests um, that have emerged, but also the calls for action and calls for change and justice um, really has energized faith, certain faith communities to respond within their tradition to these calls for justice. Mm -hmm. So Frank, what takes place in the life and work of ATS that allows this group of leaders to make these kind of public declarations? What do you think? So, um, first of all, uh, I should say that not all, um, ATS is a very broad and diverse set of theological schools that come from many different ecclesial traditions, uh, Roman Catholic Orthodox, uh, mainline Protestant, um, Evangelical Protestant, um, and one Jewish school. We have one Jewish member in the ATS. Uh, each of these schools is going to come to um, the topic of social justice and racial justice in very different kinds of ways. And also because these schools have very different uh, ways of doing governance and who speaks on behalf of whom, uh, it, it means that uh, public decorations are handled in very different kinds of ways. Uh, there are some schools that uh, where it will be a bishop who makes an announcement for the whole diocese, for example, or there will maybe uh, some folks who, uh, some uh, leaders within the church who make declarations on behalf of their church. Um, in some cases, it's more of a denominational body or a regional body. And in some cases, the schools really have their own individual ways to be able to, uh, to speak truth to power by, uh, uh, crafting and uh, declaring their own statements um, to the public. Uh, so each schools respond in very different ways based on how they're set up uh, in terms of their governance, but also their traditions. Mm -hmm. You know, Frank, uh, I'm, as you know, I'm writing or doing research and writing a book on the experience of, of Latinos in theological education. And 
you know, these declarations reminded me uh, uh, several things. One was, is that, you know, it was back in the late 60s and early 70s when the ATS opened itself to acknowledge and engage the needs and interests uh, for theological education among racial ethnic people and churches. Uh, the ATS was at the time and still remains, as you know, a kind of predominantly white world of schools and, and organizations. Uh, but back in the late 60s, I think it was in 1968, that the ATS um, organized what was called at the time the Committee of Underrepresented Constituencies. And then later on, I think it was in 19, I mean in 2000, that there was <clears throat> a renewed initiative and then th that committee, I think, was renamed as CORE, the Committee on Race and Ethnicity. And at that time, the ATS embarked in a kind of uh, the process of education um, that took place for 14 years, I think, from night of 2000 to 2014, working together and endorsing, equipping, nurturing, supporting uh, faculty and administrators of colors in uh, our school system. And I wonder whether, you know, part of that history also uh, explain, you know, the, the, uh, at this point at least, how these leaders were formed and the declarations they made. What do you think? Certainly, Luis. It these, uh, the, the Committee on Race and Ethnicity, what is currently, what this uh, committee is currently called, um, supports the work of the association with regard to race and ethnicity, uh, primarily uh, as a mode of education and of formation for theological leaders and for schools. Uh, it also uh, is a support network for racial ethnic leaders within theological schools. So under this umbrella of the Committee on Race and Ethnicity, uh, ATS also convenes and supports the work of African-American presidents and deans, of Latino-Latina uh, presidents and deans, and of Asian descent presidents and deans. And it's actually these groups of ATS uh, um, leaders uh, they are, uh, they are uh, groups that meet every year. Uh, we help convene them every year and they discuss and support one another, um, discuss important issues and support one another every year. Uh, it is from these groups where these statements, these, these um, statements of solidarity emerged from the Latino, Latino or the Latinx deans and presidents and from the Asian descent presidents as well. These were the groups that we had convened under the larger umbrella of CORE. Um, and it was actually the um, African-American presidents and deans who adopted what was originally a public statement um, with a, a number of signatories uh, and adapted that original African-American statement or that statement from black presidents and deans as their own statement. Um, because there were many people within that group who were part of the original signatories. 
That's interesting, Frank. I also, you know, was looking at my notes and I remember that in um, the 2018 ATS biennial meeting, there was an initiative taking place by or led by a group of Latino presidents and deans and also supported by African-American and Asian descent president and deans. Uh, and that letter uh, was an open letter on separation of families at the border. And let me read one paragraph from, from that because, you know, in a sense also, that declaration uh, was an attempt of seeking sol solidarity and working in collaboration among this group. But at that time, the, the open letter stated, gathering Denver, Colorado from, for the 100th anniversary of the Association of Theological Schools, as leaders of our schools and communities, we call on the United States administration to immediately stop the moral practice of separating families as part of immigration enforcement, dedicate the needed resources to reunite those who have already been separated and pursue humane policies that reflect our values and protect the dignity of all." End of quote. So it's interesting to me, you know, that in, uh, in 2018, those groups uh, came together to support this kind of declaration. And now this year, beyond those three, uh, our white colleagues, president and deans, also um, supported this declaration. So th th there is a, an interesting dynamic taking place now. Uh, what, what are your insights about that? Well, uh, first of all, uh, yeah, the, the um, the open letter that was issued in 2018 in Denver, uh, it was originated by the uh, Latino Latina presidents and deans. Um, and it was actually brought to action um, onto the floor uh, for the biennial meeting. The, yeah, the original motion was actually, they wanted to submit this as an open letter. And it was actually a, a, a white, um, uh, Dean from a historically white theological school, uh, divinity school, who said, who wanted to make this a, an issue of policy for the association. And it actually created um, a pretty strong disagreement, um, not so much about the content of the letter, because I think if it were to be an open letter, it would have been signed by probably a supermajority, over two thirds of those who were present, um, as a statement of solidarity. Um, but when it became a matter of policy, uh, it really, it really uh, was something that the association didn't feel equipped to do as a matter of policy. As an accrediting organization, uh, it's, it saw that that was not really its charge. And so even though it was, uh, it was not approved as a policy statement of the association, it was, uh, the letter began to circulate after um, after the, that particular vote, and it was signed by a substantial number of those who were present at the biennial meeting. It was also a very painful moment, though, for the association, and it gets to uh, some of this dynamic that you're talking about, is, is how, um, 
you can actually get a groundswell of solidarity from a really diverse set of schools around a particular uh, topic or issue or the issue in this case of racial justice and the killing of black people. So this is, uh, what is really substantial about this was that there was uh, a substantial number of schools who in solidarity to the original letter really began to issue their own calls for, for uh, racial justice. Um, so uh, it does still point to this, this um, both the diversity of the ATS schools in terms of their different traditions. Um, because again, I think as uh, was the case in Denver, um, both individuals who work in theological schools and the theological schools themselves, while they may have very different ways of approaching things like racial justice, the fact that they all acknowledge that many and most acknowledge this as, a, as an evil, as a social sin, and that it requires a response is really uh, what I think we saw happening in June of 2020. Mm -hmm. So Frank, uh, these uh, uh, declarations are not official statement by ATS. So what is their role and, or their weight in this environment? Um, can you reflect about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, and uh, I, I, again, one of the things I really want to emphasize is that uh, a good number, and again, a majority of schools see um, and declared this publicly as an evil and a social sin that required a response a response to heal, a response to address the historical wrongs of racism and racial violence. Um, and each school does speak um, um, on its own behalf, but not in all cases. Again, because there are some schools where an official statement will come from um, a bishop or will come from a leader of a denomination. Um, so some schools actually, it is not part of their institutional authority to be able to speak uh, on behalf of, of their denomination or um, even on behalf of their school. Um, so schools respond in ways that are unique to their traditions and their missions um, and their ecclesial structures. Um, so these are not official statements of the ATS because the ATS is too diverse a body of schools to speak with one voice and in the same manner with the same emphases. Um, uh, these responses though, and I think this is the power and the authority of them, the, the responses that we saw, and again, from a majority of schools, um, the responses that we saw are unified and diversified in their responses. Um, they're unified of, uh, in, in terms of their calling for um, uh, seeing this and decrying the evil of what happened at the killing of, 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 of black people. Uh, they talk about this and frame this as a larger social evil that needs to be addressed. And again, it requires action um, on behalf of them and not just words. Um, these responses come from administrators of colors in their institutions. Um, uh, and they really are words of support for those who are allied in the desire to see racial justice realized, to see systemic racism dismantled. And again, they are really embodied from all of these unique different places across the theological spectrum, across uh, the different kinds of schools that are in the ATS. 
You know, Frank, I've, I've been reflecting, you know, on, on this event in a sense. For me, you know, a kind of historical event because I don't recall or remember anything similar happening, you know, way back. And, and the authority, as you were saying, of these declarations are, are not formal, but they are a kind of moral call. And in a way, you know, when I read these declarations and reflect on them, I see, you know, um, that these leaders are calling their peers, the rest of us, to, to engage in some fundamental practices, let's say, of theological education. So it's a call to, again, uh, renew and recommit to our prophetic function, you know, so that joining voices to the diversity of voices in society that are lamenting and condemning and challenging the prevailing uh, conditions and policies and practices in societies that allow for, you know, the prevalence of these violent behaviors and their damaging impact. It's also a call and a commitment to the pastoral function of the church and its leaders uh, to accompany people and communities in crisis, uh, in struggle, is right, and, and to bring to them uh, resources for healing and empowerment uh, to resist and to you know continue working to our fullness of life. And uh, the other two things that I've been thinking about is that these are calls to, again, renew our commitment to our pedagogical uh, function, that is to say, to rethink how is it that we're gonna teach and uh, contribute to the formation of religious leaders in time like this so that, that they develop the knowledge and skills to engage in uh, crisis uh, that support the, we may say, the reformation of hearts and minds, the transformation of policies and institutions, and the reparation is right that victimized people and communities uh, deserve. And last, you know, the, it's also a call to review and assess our organizational life is right in, in what in what ways what we do in our schools and in our association how is that going to change is right how do we move from postures of uh, religious and ethical complacency and complicity at times to stances of commitments and solidarity uh, with social movements um, that you know, reveal new ways uh, to be the best of us, right? And to dig, as you mentioned before, into the wells of our faith traditions. And then to identify and, and to deploy the best resources in our civic and democratic traditions. So some of, some are, uh, those are some of the reflections as I'm being considering, you know, thinking, what is the weight? What is the call 
what is the stake here that these leaders have uh, issued through their declarations? Do you have any other insights about that? No, I think what you shared is, is brilliant, Luis. Um, and it also shows you to be the, uh, the, the, both the leader, uh, former academic dean and uh, vice president of academic affairs of two theological schools um, who are thinking about the formation of leaders for such a time as this, right? Uh, it, it just reminds me of, you know, I, I often remember thinking when I was a seminary student at a Presbyterian seminary in Princeton, New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, thinking, you know, uh, I wish that I could have been a seminary student during the civil rights movement, uh, because that would have contributed so much to my formation of who I was, right? Um, and I think in, in many respects, um, though the, this, is, this is very much, uh, there, there have been new renewed emphases on protests and the, the role of protests in these movements. Um, and I think that this moment is defining um, in very different kinds of ways, um, the current seminary students and the leaders that they will become for the church and for society. Frank, uh, let's let's move our conversation to, you know, practices and hope. So, because in a way, these leaders are calling us to reform or renew our practices and to uh, envision new futures. Is right that in spite of the struggle and of the harm uh, and of the uh, laments and desperations that uh, we as leaders uh, in religious education and theological education and in church ministry are committed, uh, continually committed to to new horizons, new horizons. Uh, so the what's changing in theological education? in light of this crisis that the uh, nation is going through, and in light of this uh, aspiration and dreams that these leaders are communicating through their statements? So that's a really good and complex question, Luis. Uh, And let me just start by, um, um, before I think about some practices um, and different ways that, uh, that schools will be trying to embody a new ways of being in response to this current moment. Um, one of the gifts that I think that the Association of Theological Schools brings, it is, it is really one of the few organizations that I can think of that are religious bodies, religious organizations. It's an organization of religious schools. Uh, uh, that can actually work across our current political and social divides. I mean, this is one thing that we haven't really talked about yet in this, in this particular session. And that is that we are in the middle of a time when our country is so divided and polarized uh, around issues of politics, on race, um, about visions for the future. Um, And one of the inspiring things about being part of the Association of Theological Schools, and it's also one of the challenges that we continue to embrace, is uh, the the really the beautiful vision of ATS 
is that um, here's an organization that uh, in the middle of all of these challenges um, is still an organization that is committed um, to a common mission and a common goal to prepare leaders with quality theological education to serve the world and communities of faith. Um, and this vision is united in both the accrediting function and in the association function of ATS and the Commission on Accrediting. Um, so we get schools from, uh, again, across the theological spectrums, conservative, moderate, liberal, um, pro very progressive, ultra progressive. Um, we get uh, traditions from all of the different ecclesial families. I mentioned Roman Catholic, Orthodox, mainline Protestant, evangelical Protestant. These are groups that cannot agree on current issues that are in front of us in terms of politics and society today. And yet this is a place in which people will, will actually work together toward a common good and a common goal. And I think that provides great hope. Now on the topic of, of racial justice and over and dismantling systemic racism, there is a good number of schools that are going to develop policies, they are going to issue, continue to issue statements, they are going to revise curricula, they are going to engage in practices like uh, workshops and building intercultural capacities or anti-racist practices and policies. Uh, there are a number of schools that will embody a whole host of practices to um, make themselves better institutions to equip these leaders for the future and for the present, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I will stress what I said before. Each of these schools are going to do them in very different kinds of ways. Uh, so one of the things I also um, said before was that ATS is not just a U.S.-based organization. We're also binational. Uh, we also have member schools in Canada. Uh, the way that Canadians deal with issues of race and racial oppression, there are some obviously some similarities, but there are some very distinct differences as well. Um, and the ways that Canadian schools are seeking to address this moment, uh, which is a moment that they are also seeking to, to um, speak to and to act within. Uh, they're doing it, but in very different ways that are very Canadian. Um, uh, so uh, one of the ways that we will continue to just help and support schools is how to respond in their particular ways, um, given their, uh, their theological traditions and uh, the places and uh, schools um, structures that they have that help them move into these new spaces and to address this current situation um, with the resources that they have from their traditions. It's also interesting, Frank, that, that uh, besides whatever ATS promotes and the spaces uh, you create for this dialogue to, to take place or the professional development of leaders, uh, addressing these issues, that there are other um, sister organizations, let's say, that also help us uh, to engage uh, in this area. For example, uh, I've been attending very closely the offerings 
that the Wabash Center for the Teaching and Study of Religion, the, the, the resources that they are offering are just magnificent. You know, discussion groups, like for example, the virtual symposium on becoming anti-racist and catalysts for change, or a webinar that they offer after whiteness and education in belonging, and a study group that they um, organize in uh, 2019, uh, Colloquy on Race Critical Consciousness for Transformation, for Transformative Theological Education. So that, you know, there is this synergy now taking place uh, among the organizations that work closely uh, in theological education that now are resourcing one another and creating opportunities uh, for leaders, schools, and most importantly, you know, the impact in, in our students so that uh, uh, their leadership and their ministry and the work they do in their congregations and community will uh, certainly uh, make a difference uh, now and uh, in the future. So as you were saying, I've seen also in the school, I'm working with this kind of changes uh, happening in the faculty and in school practices, including now the, you know, the, the interest of even extending this, not only to faculty, students and staff, but also board of trustees. What are the kind of training, uh, the education that board of trustees um, need, is right, along with the rest of us to, um, to do their, work and discharge their responsibilities in ways that support the needed changes uh, that will mark, you know, this historical moment in theological education. So that's, you know, another, another area of work that, that is needed. Yeah, well, it does, it, as you said, Luis, it really requires the transformation of the whole institution, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, um, uh, again, very fortunately, this is, uh, again, one of the things that we uh, have to do as both a membership organization, a, me a membership of member schools, um, and as an accrediting agency at ATS and the Commission on Accrediting, is that, you know, we, uh, it, it's very difficult to legislate this moment through a set of accrediting standards. But what we can do is point to principles within the standards. For example, um, how a school can better, um, with integrity, do its mission to serve diverse publics and to enhance the diversity that is present within their school. Um, and that is one of the ways through which, um, for example, you could, you, as you talked about, it, it just it is part of what makes quality theological education when bored administrators, faculty, and students are equipped to embody and to enact that mission for the school um, in the best possible ways. Um, and again, it, in the school that we were at, at McCormick, it would have been very much on how we commit to uh, dismantling white supremacy. It would have been very much committed to how we empower um, and um, and celebrate the lives of black people. Um, of course, how we cre create situations that would um, 
minimize the effects of systemic racism that lead to the killing of black people, but on the positive side, create places where people of color can thrive. Um, these, these, that's part of what it would mean within our accrediting standards to talk about institutional integrity. And that's how it would have been embodied in a school like McCormick's. Frank, uh, thank you very much for sharing with me in this conversation. I have enjoyed immensely. And I wish you the best in your leadership role in the world of graduate theological education. Thank you, Luis. And I look forward to seeing and reading your research that you're writing on. Uh, it was such a pleasure to catch a glimpse of it this afternoon. Certainly. And to our audience, uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. And we invite you to check our webpage for other available resources. You can go to htiopenplaza.org, htiopenplaza.org. Thank you very much. Take care. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.